everybody. Um, welcome back, Gustavo. Thank you, Martina, for welcoming <laughs> back. I thought you disappeared. I didn't know what happened to you. I know. I went in hibernation like everyone else did. <laughs> What's going on? Oh, trying to survive. You and know. how are you? How's that going? I realize that my family ain't isn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be careful. Some of them listen to this. I know. But, you know, it's all right. They'll be all right. They know it. They know I love them regardless. But mm. it's been, I've been, like, white-knuckling it for the past 40-something days, for the past two months, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I do go out sometimes to do errands, so that's always fun. You know, my dad, I don't let my, we don't let my dad go out because he's a senior citizen, and plus, because he's a little senile, but um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but, you know, we, he's a senior citizen, so, you know, we don't let him go out as much. Um, right. I guess, well, and that makes sense. Yeah, I guess they still want him to be around. So, <laughs> so I'm someone stuck doing all these errands, and it's, it's no fun. Like, being uh, a grown-up, well, no fun. I was going to say, can't help you with that. Being a grown-up is part of the gig. <laughs> I want to be an adolescent again. Anywho, um, oh, by the way, I guess we should probably um, address the fact that we're doing this over the phone because of all the craziness that has happened in the world yes. at the moment. Um, the moment. So I know we've been away, we... guys. We've been away for quite uh, a while. Right? I don't know the last time. I forgot the last time we did a podcast. Um, but it is, usually really is. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, we're here here now. Um, yeah, the reason it sounds like this is because uh, we're doing it over the conference. We're trying to do a live video, but then we were like, hello, we have a podcast. So then that starts the idea. Um I think it was my idea. Um, but Martina was like, we have a podcast, Gustavo. I'm like, oh, that's right. Um, I'm always trying to put my face over, you know. Uh, oh. But, yes, thank you for joining us. We've been trying to coordinate this even through quarantine. It's been a little hard um, because Martina's out there conquering the world. So how's that going so far? Oh, let me tell you, I have been home since... March 15th and I haven't been to work. I don't, I think I might honestly forget what my story even looks like at this point. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, I've been home this whole time, which honestly has been um, sort of a blessing um, Mm -hmm. in this time being just because I've been um, kind of struggling with some classes at school. So it kind of paid off in some regard I know that, you know, pandemics are not exactly the thing that we all wish, but um, would happen. But in this situation, it kind of um, paid off just because then I could stay home, work on, on my homework and kind of really pay attention to it also. Um, oh, that's I'm actually kind of glad that, yeah, I'm kind of glad that all of that happened. So. Cool. But anyhow, that's, that's about that's all. 
Yeah. Let's wait so, so how much but, more you have left. Um, another year, about halfway through. Mm-hmm. So, nice. almost there. Almost there. So, anywho, um, we have a lot of cool um, content. Um, strangely enough, even though the quarantine's going on, um, fashion news and fashion does not stop. So, we've got a lot of cool things to talk about today. Um, yes, we do. Why don't um, why don't you why don't you start? Let's hear what you have to say today. What do I have? And we know um, it's a lot. Right. <laughs> um yes, I do I do have a lot. I mean there's been a lot of great fashion news going on lately. Um, even during the pandemic. Um a lot of stores are closing, a lot of our getting saved. I think I read something that um, some companies trying to negotiate with Jesse Penny to get it saved. Um, I haven't read the story yet, but I'm going to read it the next couple of days. Um, and, you know, it's just been a lot of, like, I think it was well, Bird of Goodman also closed, right, or something like that, or their bankruptcy. Um, there, well, I know Neiman Marcus is filed for um Chapter 11, or for bankruptcy protection, excuse me. Um, so, I mean, all these luxury retailers, it's kind of the, the writings on the wall for a lot of them, unfortunately, and it's sad to say it, but I feel mm-hmm. like fashion the way that we knew it and, and retail for that matter, the way that we, we knew it, um, maybe coming to a close, unfortunately. Right. I think we're now going into, um, which is really funny because I just did a forum with, uh, a magazine from Honduras, uh, Honduras, 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 however you call it. Um, we were talking about the beauty industry and how it's, you know, a very, um, in a way, intimate kind of way of selling because, you know, they're in your face kind of thing. And uh-huh. they make you um, kind of dream this beauty, you know. Um, and then we were talking a little bit about the retail spectacle of it, just how like everything's very sample, everything's like on your face and this and that. And it was just a it was a really it was a really good conversation. Uh, because we had two industry beauty insiders and it was myself from a retail point talking to them about like what is gonna happen and you know mm-hmm. I think everything I think we're in the era of just like virtual and that virtual reality and a little bit of virtual reality in a little aspect of this, like, everything's going virtual. Like, in my research for this forum, I found out that, like, there's brands out there that are, like, um, Lori, um, there's some brands out there, like, um, uh, I just, I think I don't know where my notes went, but there's some boutiques um, out there, like, brands like L'Oreal and so on and so forth, like, the higher-end brands that are doing, like, virtual boutiques, you know, kind of bringing that experience into their homes and doing Zoom consultations, you know, one-on-one. And, you know, people, even though who are wearing mouth covers, they're still buying makeup, you know, they're still seeing sales. In Funny the- how that works, right? Right. You know, I mean, people are either buying mascara or they're buying make. You know, they're buying a lipstick. You know, like a lot of people were like lipstick, like you have your mouth covered. But I guess it makes sense. Like if you're home, a lot of people do still want to be done. You know, they don't always want to feel frumpy. And I think from their aspect, it's like how do we go forward? You know, being conscious 
of like we're in this pandemic and how do we treat our customers, you know, to like a high standard. And a lot of them were saying that, you know, we're going to come to the point where we're going to, you know, have to sell differently now. You know, it's not just, you know, using one product for many people. Like, obviously, we can't do that now. It's just like if you have, if you want a consultation with me and I'm bringing products to you and I have to open it for you, you know, one of the guys was saying, he's like, I'm going to have to, like, work hard and for you to buy that for me because I can't use it to anybody else anymore because it's open. So I think that's something that, you know, is that it is a game changer, but I think like the well my aspect of it was like the beauty industry, regardless of a pandemic or not, is just like it's always gonna be on the rise. I think beauty is something that it's safe, um, during this pandemic because people do women still want to feel pretty. Even at home. Well, and that's the thing. Like I feel like there's so many components to the, the, the beauty industry too that it doesn't necessarily have to be cosmetics. There's, you know, the, the awareness that um, skincare companies have brought to the forefront of just skincare in general. Yeah. Um, I think it's still, you know, I mean, stuff like that doesn't stop necessarily. It, um, it still continues. And so people are still going to be spending money on those products, maybe not as often, or maybe right. those more expensive products maybe aren't, sold as quickly or people aren't necessarily gravitating towards those per se Mm -hmm. but at the same time like like I still buy like moisturizer and sunscreen and things like that I need it I just because the pandemic has started doesn't mean that uh, things like that right life stops exactly so I think that's the the interesting thing there's I think cosmetics is probably doing a little bit better than than retail is at the moment just be mm-hmm. you know again for that simple fact that there's other components to the industry so yeah yeah, yeah. so that's simply what we were talking about like there's like um there's brand like Estee Lauder and L'Oreal and the other other brands were like doing um sort of like competitions with like makeup artists you know just to kind of get the products kind of moving um you know there were uh like you know these other higher brands like Chanel and like Dior, you know, I think Dior had like a 3D app, you know, developed for their makeup. And I think Chanel had to kind of, um, kind of bring themselves a little bit down from that like high-end pedestal of marketing to a more like realistic um, marketing platform, which I thought was kind of great because, you know, Chanel does seem, um, a little um, out there, like a little up there, you know, in pricey, but I think right, that right. That it's kind of trying to compete with everyone else, you know, and I think it's it's, it's room for everyone. So I, it was just a really interesting conversation and just seeing like all these different aspects of the fashion industry kind of being affected or affected, you know, in many ways. And it, for it's, sure. it's, it's, it's nice in a way to see how, they're all surviving in their own in their own way. So I thought it was pretty cool. And then um going into our first story, we're just gonna talk about diamonds. Um so in the outskirts of Botswana, so this is like in South Africa, like um you have um miners down there and there's mines down there owned by De Beers, um, which is probably apparently having a little problem selling their diamonds. 
Um, there, obviously, with COVID, ever since March, a lot of stuff hadn't been shut down, and they're really um, their stock um, is really piling up. Um, they're saying that they had a pretty big fashion, sh- a pretty big show that got canceled due to COVID, and a lot of that stuff hasn't been bought. It's still sitting in inventory. Um, so this is all happening in South Africa. Um, where they mine the diamonds and the rough diamonds. There's also another mining in Africa that's owned by a Russian rival called Alfrosta. Maybe I'm saying it mm-hmm. wrong, PJTC. Um, so ever since the pandemic, there's been restrictions on freezing the global, I mean, the global industry has been frozen. Um, so now that everything's been lifted, you know, they're going to the stock and seeing, obviously, all these unsold diamonds that haven't been sold um, and they're sitting there in their stocks. And um, so there's by, there's five big producers. They're estimated to be sitting on excess stock worth of 3.5 billion and could increase to 4.5 billion or about a third of the annual rough by the end of the year. So that's a lot. That's a crazy, that's a stupid yeah. amount of money or it a stupid is. amount of inventory rather. Yeah, it's just sitting there. Um, and uh, I know the miners, some of the miners are refusing to cut the prices because they're still doing their jobs, even though with the whole COVID-19 um, mm-hmm. pandemic worldwide, and they feel like they shouldn't um, be lowering the prices. You know, it's not something that they can't control or predict, as they said, you know, some insider. But um, you have to be yours and, you know, this other company who just like they don't know what to do. Um, so, so they reduced um, the miners also reduced production in an effort to control the stock levels. But you know the diamonds just keep piling up. So there's they can cut back, but then it's not moving whatever they still have in hand. So like they don't know what to do. They're like, what do we do? You know, they still got to sell. They, it's still a company that needs to pay their employees, and those employees need to provide for their families. You know, so what do you do at that point as a company? Like, do you close down? What do you do? And, you know, it's just right. stuff like that. So, um, so De Beers and Arosa are, are refusing, are, are, they don't want to cut prices, which is one of the things. So they're refusing some approaches um, to customers, some special orders. Um, small diamond producers are dropped some. So apparently the story is that uh, in this big buying conference, you know, you have obviously different miners, and then you have these big jewelry companies that come in. So then there's obviously, like every other industry, there's other um, subsidiary miners companies or smaller companies that do smaller mines or do certain type of diamonds. And those smaller ones have cut their prices simply because they do want their inventory to sell. But well, yeah, same- because then, right, because then as, as inventory sits, the less um, – the less attractive it looks to, to, to a buyer because when things sit on the shelf and that's just, I mean, that's anybody, you go into a store and you see something sitting for so long, 
you don't want to buy it. It's kind of like, it's got that, that idea of like, well, what's wrong with it? Why is it, why has it been sitting there for so long? Or even that idea of like, I don't, I don't get it, but there's customers that won't buy something if it's been re-tagged with like a handmade ticket because there's some association that there's something wrong with it, you know? Right. And that's, that's not the case. And I think that they have to look at things like that too and realize that in order to sell the product, you have to meet somewhere in, in the, in the middle, you know, and I'm not saying like blow your entire bottom line and and discount everything to the point where you're practically giving it away because there are people that do do that. Mm. And sure there's revenue coming in, but is there actually a profit? Because those are two different things. Um, Right. So, I mean, it's a tricky thing. And for them to refuse to cut their pricing is kind of crazy because, like, you have to understand that the world's in the situation that it is right now. So, to not want to budge, it's like, well, then you're not going to be selling anything because in order to make money, it requires money. So, you know, if people don't have it or they can't sell anything, then it's on you. Exactly. Yeah, because I don't see anybody going out there buying a multi-million dollar necklace. I mean, I'm sure somebody is, but they're not posting it or something like that. Um, but yeah, so the junior miners have cut their, per- their prices up to 25%. Um, simply, they just want the inventory gone because A, they don't have the room to kind mm-hmm. of dig more and keep stock. And then they just, since they're small, they just want to get rid of it. So a lot of things with the beers is that they have this constant um, problem with uh, with their inventory because um, they they ended their monopoly. I think they were owned by somebody else. So mm-hmm. they're only so now the beers is only doing the beers. They're not doing of the other subsidiaries that they were doing sure. before. So um, since it ended this monopoly, so they're always. I think the beers needs to kind of cut down on exactly what they need instead of being hungry for all the diamonds. Um, so it's say that the company spent nearly in the in the early 2000s running down about $5 billion in stock and industry inventories ballooned during the global financial crisis and again in 2013. So each time selling down the stockpiles has caused buildups of polished diamonds, putting huge pressure on the cutters, traders, and manufacturers that buy it from them. So they kind of want to be like this resource to all these other facilities that do the diamonds, that need diamonds, you know, as for sewing, as for jewelry, or for whatever case they need. But then they don't want, I guess the thing is like they don't want to lose money. So that's why they don't want to cut the prices. But then again, like you said, you know, it's not that they don't want to. It's just that, come on, like, we're in a world pandemic. Like, you know, that's why you're stuck with all these billions of dollars from the stock. Right. And it's it's really hard. It's a tricky situation. Yeah. So then I will yeah, I mean, that. well, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to. Oh, uh, no. I was going to ask. No, go question. ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I was going to ask. I mean, if, if you're so bent, at, like, hell-bent, you know, to have all of this inventory, who do you think is going to buy it? Because, like, I mean, people don't have jobs at the – I mean, well, I, let me rephrase mm-hmm. that. Majority of people are unfortunately without jobs at the moment. And 
to have a brand like De Beers, I mean, that's not like something like you don't walk into a store and like a Target, for example, and pick that up on your local like shopping trip. Like that's that's right. a destination luxury retailer. Right. Um, or brand rather, I should say. And so I, I hate to say it and I really hope I'm wrong about this, but I don't foresee the apparel industry or the fashion industry really picking up in six months from now. It's going to take years to recover from this, unfortunately. So I don't know, like, I don't know that I would be overzealous in, in having all this inventory. Right. Especially at De Beers. One, you lost your monopoly, your other companies where you could have like shipped the diamonds around and now you're kind of hungry for all these diamonds and you have nowhere to put up um, or nowhere to sell them to. Um, yeah, I it's, I don't get it either. <laughs> um, so uh, Rosa said that it's diamond inventory. So Arosa apparently me Arosa uh, is from Russia. They had like a buyer's thing, and did 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 sell like around thirty million carats worth, um, thirty million worth of diamonds. But mm-hmm. they're usually up more than that. Um, uh, um, they usually sell more than that in some of these shows. So they haven't released their quarterly sales. So a lot of people are saying that they're not really going to because um, it's just, I think it's just, um, for me, it seems that they just took whatever offer, you know, they got offered from the, from all these people and just sold whatever they could. You know what I mean? Um, You know, it wasn't, I, I think it's a amount that they're not satisfied, but at least they got something out of it. Um, they just quoted saying that the company said that they want to cut the cost of 15 million carats in the next two years. So um, I don't know what that means. I tried to dig a little bit deeper, um, but it seems to be it was an already okay position before the pandemic. It wasn't one of um, it is one of the bigger um, diamonds um, manufacturer or supplier in Russia. So it's it's really highly respected, but in industry, it's not, it's doing well. It's not like a De Beers. It's not like a, uh, what's the other word? Like a Van Cleve and Arpels or Arpel, sorry. Right. Or it isn't like a Tiffany, you know, it's not like up to that caliber, but it does really well in Russia. But um, so they, they're still struggling in that set. So they're looking at the Chinese market. You know, everyone right now is kind of focusing on the Chinese market because they were the first ones to open up, you know, after this pandemic. You know, they were the first ones to get hit really bad. So everyone's pretty much looking at what China's doing, you know, when it comes to terms of fashion and accessories and all of that. So um, so Chinese retailers are open again, and India manufacturers are allowed to, like, start you know, doing stuff for the industry because of China. So um, so they're doing these diamonds. The, you know, Indians, the Indi- India is already, there's a company called Surat, and they usually are the ones that polish and cut the diamonds. So they are mm-hmm. allowed to fill the company up to 50%. Um, so, and then, but they're only allowed 10% on employees. So the company in the offices are allowed to be staff 50%, but out of that 50%, only 10% of that are actual manufacturer, the manufacturer workers. So they're kind of seeing how that goes with China in this, 
I guess this quarter, like I guess they're going to see the numbers by the end of the summer, I think, or early fall. Um, so they're just trying to see how it goes in China. It's pretty yeah. much how the article ended. You know, we're like I said, you know, China has been the first one to open the markets. Um, you know, everyone's looking at China, even at the report that I was reading about retail. You know, they're just seeing how not a lot of hoping and praying. Yeah. And a lot of people are just looking to see how retail bounces back. And it's not, it's steadily growing from this article that I was reading. Um, a lot of people are still not shopping before. Um, they're not, they're not going to like these higher end designers anymore. Like they're shopping like local. Um, they're shopping like local boutiques. Um, you still have the ones that have money that are going to like Louis Vuitton, that are going to Gucci, but they're not shopping them as how they were before. And right. um, so it's just a game to see. I guess it's, it's, it's a way to see to see what what happens with these diamonds. So I'm going to keep up with this story and see if I can provide you guys an update. Yeah, it's funny you say that because, like, actually my my topic that I was planning on I'm talking about that it was it kind of reflects with the the market and what happened in China when they first opened and whatnot. And um, I read somewhere along the line when I was researching this whole thing that they were talking about how consumers there in China were given vouchers in order to um, or to kind of incentivize them to go into stores to um, actually do business with these vendors so that at least there was some sort of um, some sort of financial um, support that was being provided and that they weren't like left on their own essentially. Mm, okay. So, um, which actually leads me to, to that point is they're talking about, and I think we kind of talked about it too. It's like no, no price decreases or anything like that. Um, this is more of a generalized topic, but I, I read about just the overall concept of um, markdowns and can discounts be avoided entirely once this whole um, pandemic issue kind of normalizes because unfortunately I think life um, as we knew it will never return to to the way it was, at least until, okay. you know, at least until there's some sort of a, a solution to to this whole thing so um but since the whole economic downturn that uh, covid19 has caused uh, i think that retailers are, are definitely facing the troubling task of getting people to purchase product and this is anywhere in the world um, mm-hmm. unfortunately and you know markdown since the 2008 economic recession have become just like this commonplace um, selling tactic and it's it's almost become a crutch and I, I see it every day even in in what I do for a living is people are are not accustomed to selling from what's in the inventory and here's the price if you like it great if not there's the door and people have used it as a crutch to make a sale and and unfortunately by doing that you're conditioning your consumer to ask for those discounts because I can remember up to 15, 20 years ago, it was, you kind of looked like a terrible person if you said, well, can I, can I get a discount on that? 
And now right. it's like it's, it's, it's commonplace for people to say, well, there's nothing you can do about that price. Can I get it for cheaper? You know what I mean? And yeah. um, I think I think that's the problem. And they've become too normal of a, like the, the markdowns have become too normal. Um, so it, it makes so me ta- question. Does, go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. You're talking about like on the register discount, like additional, like an additional discount to already what's on sale or a, a markdown just, from what's just in, general. in general, because there's a lot okay. of retailers that will advertise sales like Nordstrom right now is doing a sale um, to get people in the door mm-hmm. for at least, I mean, for the ones that are open at the moment and get people onto their website and get some traction um, to get people buying again. So, I mean, it, it, it makes me wonder whether or not these markdowns are, are they eating into our bottom line of a, as a retailer? Because there's no, obviously there's only so much that you can mark down before you're eating into you into your profit and then you're just you're operating at a loss. So then mm-hmm. what's the point at that point? Um so that's my I guess my question to you. At what point does a markdown start eating into their bottom line? I think it starts eating when it's done too often, when it's not really necessary. Um I think for I think I understand because even when I was working at Perfumania um, you know, there were days where we didn't have no sales. You know, there's days. I mean, that happens in retail. You know, there's days mm-hmm. where you have a couple of sales, and there's days where you don't have sales. And there's days where, like, oh, my God, but everyone's a millionaire. You know, everyone's coming in and shopping. You know, um, I was the one that <laughs> I, I was infamous, and the customers knew this, that I was infamous for not giving discounts or not giving com- or competitive prices discounts. You know, and I was asked why, and I was like, because I'm like, you're coming here because a we treat you right, and then b because you know the product that we're giving you. I'm like, I'm not saying that store B, C, and D is is legit, but I'm like, we're in already. I mean, it's already discounted. I'm like, you know, go to Macy's and try to find this at the price that I'm giving it to you. I'm like. At the price you're going to pay on Macy's, it's like two bottles of eight. So you know what I mean? So it was really hard for me to kind of give discounts because um, to justify I just felt, it. yeah, to justify it. And I felt like the product that we're giving, it was reasonably priced. Sure. But I think it affects overall when you do it too much. Like, I get it here and there, you know, or just to get a customer out of your way that's been there or thinking about a shirt or thinking about a garment, you know, for so long. Be like, oh, my God, I'll give you, like, an additional 10% off or 15, you know. Like, let me do, let me go as high as I can, you know. But at the same right. time, you kind, of, you kind of still want to make a profit, which I feel it's, it's the reason why you're in business. It's the reason why you make the money. Because you're you're losing profit when you give a discount, right? Oh no, absolutely, absolutely. And I agree with you. I feel like there's there's a certain point where you have to say enough is enough, mm-hmm. you know. And and to me, it almost to me it almost damages a brand to a certain degree. 
like, for example, where I work, like, there's that connotation, like, oh, go there, you'll get a discount. You know, and for the longest time, people would be afraid to come in because they thought that we were too expensive in the sense that they couldn't afford what we were offering them. So it's like mm. you went from one ex- one extreme to the other. So you went from being out of out of range or out of reach for a lot of consumers or that perceived mm-hmm. um, that perceived notion that we were out of reach for a lot of consumers to a discounted business. You know, so there's that fine line that you have to find in between the two um, to not damage the brand. Because mm-hmm. when you do, then, you know, especially for retailers like, you know, the Macy's and Nordstrom's of the world and things like that, you start to change the, the connotation of what what they offer or what the, the perceived value to the consumer is. And brands could drop. I mean, think. Think about it like you do one wrong thing or one misstep and brands will drop you so fast. Right. Like Nordstrom, yeah. where they're like infamous for like accepting everything back. Any return, yeah. Any return. And look at them now. I mean, I'm not saying that's the cause of it, but when you're known for that, you kind of you kind of just become that. I don't know if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like, like when you, I don't know, I just feel like when you're when you're known for that, I think that's when you also lose your status, and you also lose you you're 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 hurting your bottom line. Yeah, you know, and um, where I got this article, I got this from VogueBusiness.com, and uh-huh. they they were even talking you know to that degree. And there's actually a graph, and maybe we could put it on the blog or on our on our social media to so people could see what I'm talking about, but it basically shows um, there's a lot of retailers, obviously due to the whole COVID-19 impact, there's a lot of inventory um, sitting in stores, sitting in warehouses, and obviously that money, you know, there's money that's been allocated to pay for that product, and now you have to make that money back in order to pay or to at least break even, at at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were talking about the damage of markdown, saying, Quote, despite the dangers of markdowns, many retailers in direct competition and working with razor-thin margins are currently promoting sales. At the time of this publishing of the article, luxury retailers like Moda Operandi, S-Sense, Farfetch, Saks, and mid-market department stores like Nordstrom and Macy's were offering discounts of up to 60%, end quote. So they're talking about how, and I think I mentioned it earlier, Nordstrom's running a sale right now. And ultimately, like when you you look at this graph, they're comparing basically the the amount of markdowns from last year as opposed to this year. And the Mm -hmm. markdowns are significantly higher across the board per each month. Mm Mm-hmm as opposed to last year. So it's it's continuing on this upward trend of marking things down further and further um, to the point of, to me, like, I, I think you're almost shooting yourself in the foot by having retailers do that because mm-hmm. then you try to go to, you try to go to a store that doesn't do that and you're not, like people won't buy because we're so conditioned to look for the discount. I mean, how many times do you go on a website 
and you hit the clearance or the sales section first. Girl, not even the website, Target. Target's infinite uh-huh. supporting clearance on the outer perimeter. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's and that's what I do. Honestly, that's what I do first. So, I mean, and it's it's sad because now what's going to happen is once the the industry kind of returns to somewhat normal once like stores start to open and people can start to return to you know, a, a daily activity such as shopping, like something as simple as shopping. Mm-hmm. And they're going to walk in and there's all this merchandise that's sitting from February, March, whenever the stores decided to shut down, some sooner obviously than others did. And so this stock, you have to make money off of it somewhere. So what do you do? You you mark it down, you know, and so – Markdowns do a great job of getting people in the door the first time around, but does it always bring them in every single time? Because I I can tell you, I've bought numerous things from vendors before once, and I have never returned back. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I've actively chosen to to do that. It's just because for one reason or another, I never really had a reason to return, to be quite frank. You know, so... That's to me, it's it's a little tricky, and so coming from a, a sales background, I believe that enough is enough when it comes to that, and um, I think it's it's time to kind of start to shift back. And sometimes you kind of have to take that hit at the beginning to yeah. recondition your customer slowly. You don't, you know, do one thing Hate today them. and then completely flip it. Yeah, tomorrow. Right. Um, but if yeah. you start to shift things slowly, you can kind of get to, you know, a point where you can have a bigger mar- profit margin. You can, there's a little bit more leeway for the retailer to not have to mark it down, you know, to to not live in that, um, that way of doing things. So, you know, and so, and this article continues on to talk about like in traditional settings, like most of the product that you see at like a Neiman Marcus or a Nordstrom, um, would either go to a closeout price of some sort, either on the website and store, or to go to an outlet. Like if it's a, a Nordstrom or a Neiman Marcus that has an outlet store, then they would send it directly to the outlet. Um, mm-hmm. But most are speculating at this point that this spring and summer product could go straight to the outlet stores once it opens, or once the stores begin opening again. Mm-hmm. And that to me is disheartening because there's a lot of brands that have spent a lot of money in designing and manufacturing, a lot of companies like Nordstrom and Macy's, they spent a lot of money to buy that product, to bring it into their stores in the hopes that to make some sort of a profit off of it. Mm-hmm. And that may not happen this year for them, you know? Um, so what some luxury brands have started doing is they have had, obviously there's a lot of brands that don't send their product to outlet or they don't do a closeout price on it. And it just kind of disappears from their website. And so what a lot of luxury brands are doing is they're taking product from seasons past, marking it down, keeping spring and summer's product at full price so that they're able to offer an assorted price range to all different consumers. Mm -hmm. And it still looks like they're offering a markdown on product, but they're still retaining the integrity of this current product. So they're making money off of what was sitting in a warehouse anyway, 
and they're getting full price on what should probably be marked down but isn't. Yes, I sense. saw this the other day. I think it was um I think it was Paloma Spain who I get a newsletter from. I don't know if I ever told you about Paloma Spain. So Paloma Spain, so he's a brand um, from Spain, (laughs) Um, but he does like really avant-garde gowns, I mean avant-garde menswear, Um, so he does like kind of like Rococo stuff, but for men, like he does like, he does like mini vests, and then he does like corsets, and he does like gowns, and so he, his summer collection was really like, um, for me, it seemed to inspire like the Caribbean. So there was like a lot of captains, a lot of like tunics and stuff like that. So I did see some of that mixture from the pre-fall collection to their like summer and spring collection. And I did see the discount compared to like the current one. And I saw, like, you know, this was before the price, and this is the price now, and so on and so forth. So I did see that mixture like, that you're talking about. And right. I'm, there's this bag that I want, but I'm not willing to pay $500 for it. So I'm hoping it goes in a discount. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I just really want the bag. But anyway, um, yeah, so I've seen that trend that you're saying, though. Yes, I've seen it before. So, I mean, to me, it's interesting. Like, I guess you and I, we probably would catch on because we've read about it. We understand it. But I think like Mm -hmm. for anybody who, because for a lot of people like fashion is just, is the same in the name on it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and, and brands like Louis Vuitton and Gucci have made their, their livings off of logos and, and name brand because that's what people go after. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's interesting that, and in some way you're opening up your market to, a whole other customer that may have never shopped with you otherwise. Right. Which is interesting to me. Um, and then the other piece of the puzzle that I've started to see too is a lot of vet, a lot of brands have ceased operations in the sense of they're, they're operating on an order basis, in the, meaning that they're operating based off of the orders that they get. So let's say you were to go on – on ASOS, for example, and buy a T-shirt. Well, that T-shirt is not stocked in an inventory somewhere. It's, you order it, and they were to go and actually have it cut and sewn, and then it gets uh-huh. shipped to you. But alongside that also comes a financial commitment to it. So you have to pay for it in either full, or there's got to be some sort of monetary commitment that allows that brand to know, okay, we're good, like, we'll go ahead and mass manufacture or we'll go ahead and manufacture it for this customer. So, and that brings about like the whole conversation of sustainability too, or at least in my head, it brings up the conversation of sustainability because um, you're, there's a lot less waste. I mean, when you think about it, like all this product that's being marked down, had you had less of it, you probably, a, you wouldn't have spent as much money. So it would have been more money in, in the company's pocket at the end of the day. Right. And be less waste in the world. Right. You know, um, but then the other part of me, the, the, the other side of my head is saying, well, great. That's, you know, that's great and all, but what happens when a, a, a product launches on a website and it just flies off the shelf? 
can you keep up with that demand? Because that's a, a lot of the time the problem when you see with products that do really, really well, mm-hmm. they're sold out for weeks on end. I mean, think about it, like the iPhone when the iPhone was came out and it was really big for years. I mean, not to say that it isn't now, but at the beginning it was like the it thing that everybody had to have. And there were, it was backed up for weeks. I remember I bought an iPhone years ago and it was backed up for like six weeks if you wanted the new one five, six weeks, whatever it was. So uh, that's the only scary thing because then people, we live in that that society that people want everything. They want that instant gratification. Mm -hmm. And along with that, as great as sustainability is, you can't um, make the, the, the consumer that wants the instant gratification happy right there and then on the spot. You know, so So it's like this delicate balance. Right, definitely. So you think that fashion is moving more to a, I think, obviously I think, I think it's moving more to sustainability. I think it's, I think it's already turning that point. I think Stella McCartney has proven, I mean, she's one of the forefronts that has really advocated for sustainability. And I think it's worked mm-hmm. for her brand. And I think um, she has shown that it can work. But do you think that on top of sustainability that if I think fashion is going that way, but do you think, or my question to you is, are we moving to a more like see now, shop more kind of drop runway or like season? Or are we going back to a season ahead? once it opens up again. Because I think it ties in in to to this topic. Yeah, I mean, I see where you're you're going with that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like at this point, like spring and summer is kind of a wash, and I'm sure fall, to me, it's almost like you might as well, I know you have product left over from years past, put up the old fall product and put it out and sell it. Most people mm-hmm. won't know the difference. Right. Uh, and just work towards spring 2021 at this point. It's not, is it even worth it? Right. Because, the reason I, mean, asking, I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, to, to put it in perspective, think about how many clothes you have in your closet and people continue, will continue to buy, but where are you wearing all these clothes to? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're great, right. you're buying all of this, but. Like the article I sent you about Target. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's great and all, but what's the point then? Right. So the reason, so, I, the only reason I, was, I was asking that question is because I was reading an article about Fashion Weeks, how, like, COVID, everything's going virtual. Um, the thing is because mm-hmm. um, I was supposed to go to Mexico City. I don't know if I told you this. I was supposed to go to for Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week Mexico City um, back in April around my birthday. Um, but it didn't because of COVID. That's when there were, like, no traveling, no this and that, no conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, so Fashion Week got pushed back for Mexico City, like, a couple of weeks. And if it was virtual, like, they told the designers, like, um, you know, this is how we're going to do it now. Come up with a concept. Do it your own way. But show us some fashion. And a lot of people did more like COVID and 
surviving fashion and a lot of people did like storybook and then from like sketching to manufacturing to the actual garment you know they all did mm-hmm. things created that was pretty cool but the reason I'm saying is because out of that topic, there was an interview that, like, a lot of designers with COVID uh, and, like, this pandemic and to dealing with sustainability and waste and stuff like that, they were saying that they were pushing out of the fashion weeks, like, because it's ahead of season or it's ahead of year, a, a year, um, and they're going to do... Like, for instance, whatever is going to show in fall is going to be there in the next couple of weeks. So, and one of the those pioneers is Dries Van Nolen because he says that he's noticed that his consumer, his customers, they don't want to wait. They want their stuff now. And, and he says that it's, for him, it's much better because he knows exactly what to order and knows exactly how to fill his stores without a lot of it going to waste. I mean, so, yeah. I, I don't know if I got a little off topic, but I know that I was trying to correlate it all with the same topic that we're talking about. Yeah, no, I mean, I get it. It, it makes sense. But does the, I don't know, I guess in my, in my head is, is it worth all of the expense? Like, do you have enough of a a return, uh, enough of a return coming back that you can justify doing all of this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or even can you, like, do you know that if there's a guarantee or at least can you figure that you're going to have enough people that are going to be buying to justify all that work you've put in? And I don't know that a lot of brands can. And especially from him, because he showed, like, a 35-piece collection for men or women. So you're right. telling me out of 35 looks that it's all separate. Like, how do you know? Like, you really need to know your customer to be like, it's going to like this, it's going to like that, it's going to like this. You know, right. and especially in the areas where he's at, because I believe he only has, like, six stores. Besides, you know, in a, like, at a Nordstrom, I mean, at a Bergdorf, I think, Um but I'm like, I just thought that was a little bit silly um, because I'm like, you really need to know your, first of all, your inventory, and you really need to know your customer to know exactly what what it's going to buy. Right. Well, I mean, I guess if if they've decided to do it, I guess there's some, I would hope that no one was going into that blindly and just kind of, okay, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> right. But I think this is this is a great article. I think fashion business uh, people who are listening who don't know what it is, um, it's a, I think it's a biweekly or weekly um, newsletter, and their articles are for free. Like you can literally read as many articles as you can. It's not like business of fashion. Um, not that it's wrong business of fashion, but business of fashion you got to pay for a subscription. Uh, but Vogue business, it's just it really breaks it down for you, which I really love, which I really, this is the reason why I like to read the articles is because they really break it down to you, like the pros and cons of like why this is this or, right. um, and it's, and yeah, I saw this article that the one that you chose um, to talk about, uh, but I just didn't have a chance to read it, but yeah, I mean, it's a really great article, Martina. Thanks, friends. <laughs> 
You know, yeah, but no, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just we just gotta look forward now and see what what happens. Um, Mark does or not. I just thought that markdowns gave you that extra push, you know, for sales, but not anymore, I guess. We shall see. <laughs> so, anything else that you want to discuss for a couple of minutes, or? I've got nothing. What about you? What's something that you're obsessing about? I'm obsessing about. I'm obsessing. Currently, I am. I just finished reading. I just finished reading. I just finished listening um, a book. I, I was trying to read a book, but I couldn't get into it, like me physically reading it. So mm-hmm. I ended up buying. Um, I actually, it was actually free on iTunes, on audiobooks. It was free on audiobooks, so I finished that. I'm trying to find something else to read. But currently, I am obsessed with um, Genetic Detective. So anybody who is in the United States or who can get into the United States TV, um, there's this new show on ABC that's called Genetic Genetic Detective. So there's this lady called Cece something. Um, I forgot her last name. But she studied genetics um, as a hobby. I mean, I never thought, you know, people chose those things as hobbies. Um, but she did, and then she ended up doing something else in her life. But then she ended up coming back to genetics, and um, she ended up working and starting her business and finding and helping um foster kids find their parents or trying to find a way of like decoding their genetics before like those 23 chromosome places or whatever they're called um you know like when you go online and then you spit in a cup or whatever um what she does is she kind of gave you like your whole family history tree so now she's doing that with solving crimes yeah, I've, I've seen previews for this, but I haven't watched it yet. It's really good. Like, this, okay, so everybody thinks, because I've been talking about it, I was telling a couple of people about it, and then and then I got into, like, the full stories of, like, how the stories are, and then some somebody was like, I thought these were, like, happy ending stories. I'm like, no, 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 no. These are not happy ending stories. Like, these are, like, gruesome crimes She's a detective. Happen. Yeah, exactly. So then, you know, there's these crimes that never got solved for, like, many years. Some of them are going back to, like, the 70s. Some of them are going back to the 80s. And um, she's using genetic coding to, like, help solve these crimes. And, um, And she's... Back in the early 2000s, there wasn't really, like, she explains, I like, what I like about it is that she explains it really good. Um, in the first episode, there's, like, you know, there's no, there was no classes, there was no degrees, there was nothing of genetic coding until, like, early 2000s. She was, like, a pioneer. So her and some other people, like, came up with the program, came up with the concept, and so on and so forth. So, like she always says, genetics never lie. And she's really helped, like, a lot of people so far. So it's really interesting. So, guys, check it out. Check it out. But don't expect, like, don't expect Happy Tears to watch these episodes. It's no Grey's Anatomy. So, 
I didn't realize you cried during Grey's Anatomy. I cry every episode. I effing cry every episode. <laughs> Especially that one season where they were doing Alzheimer's. Girl, I cried every episode. I cried every five minutes. You probably think I'm crazy. I'm going to sit here in silence. <laughs> Don't. So what are you obsessing about, Martina? Um, I'm watching right now. You're going to be so happy when I tell you this in a second. I'm on. I'm like halfway through season three of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. <gasps> yes. Yeah. What are, what are your thoughts about uh, it so far? I love it. I think Isn't it's worth it every, every award nomination that it's been nominated for. <laughs> yes, indeed. I love it. Um, mm. And then shortly before that, I finished um, Schitt's Creek. And I've never watched seasons. it. I think you should. It is hilarious. It's, um, it's kind of tough, like, at the beginning to get through it. But then once you've watched enough of it and you've kind of, like, over the course of seasons, they start to develop their characters much more. Um, mm-hmm. You really grow attached. And by the time that you get to season six, when it does come to an end and it, there are no more episodes that are going to be filmed of it, um, you definitely are very, very sad to see it go. Very funny. Uh-huh. It's very easy to, very get, easy to get through. There's like 20 minutes long each episode, 25 minutes, whatever it is. Um, but super funny, very sarcastic so if you've got like a uh, very dry sense of humor like it's they're very very quick some of the jokes so you have to listen and pay attention otherwise you do miss some of it but very well written very funny great cast so if anybody's looking for a uh, a binge watch either of those would be good so wait a minute you did a watch um uh Oh my god! I just had it. It just hit with my tongue. Um, oh, those uh, the Bachelor with the music people. No, are you kidding me? No way! I watched that. <laughs> you no 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 no. Why not? Different writers, songwriters, or something. I don't nope. know. I didn't. I didn't even know what it. Was. I didn't. I didn't. I just thought you would watch it because you're a big Bachelor fan. I am, but that was one thing that I refused to watch. Why? Too many hopeless romantics? No, too much music and too many bad singers. <laughs> I was only curious because they used that one song that from the 80s that I always sing. And now I forgot. Hilarious. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well... I guess we're wrapping it up. Um, thank you for listening, guys. Um, thank you. Thank you, Martina, for finally clearing up your day for me. It's Don't been... even go there because we both know that you were the problem child. <laughs> I said, yes, thank you for clearing your day for me. Um, uh-huh. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, yes, so expect another episode soon. Uh, we're going to try and keep doing this um, conference. 
as long until as we can it, get as, back in the studio. Until we get back to the studio with Colin and Asian Colin and oh, I can't say that anymore. Um, with other Colin too and um, everyone else. Um, I miss that library for some reason. I do too. You miss the normalcy. Yes. I'm going to go to that library, but like, did you guys miss me? Because I really miss you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. Um, thank you. And then follow us if you haven't followed us yet. <laughs> Leave us a review on iTunes because I think Gustavo's going to cry at some point. Uh, Seriously. doesn't get a review. No, I've given given up already. Oh. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm not going to force it. Oh, okay. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, well, anywho, thank you. Thank you. um, And just keep watching out for us. Bye. Have a good night.